We want to thank our sponsor, Dark Kryptonite. Dark Kryptonite stops ransomware, malware, and phishing in their tracks, eliminating cybercrime, fraud, and information warfare. Dark Kryptonite utilizes advanced blockchain algorithms and zero-trust models. Learn more at www.darkkryptonite.com. My guests today are Dwayne LaFlotte and Patrick Hines. Dwayne LaFlotte is a Chief Technology Officer at Pulsar Security. He works to resolve complex technical issues for the team and its partners. He's an expert technologist in the area of cryptography, exploit development, networking, programming, and enterprise data storage. And Patrick Hines is the CEO and founder of DTS and Pulsar Security. Patrick is a recognized technology leader with expertise in Microsoft technologies, software development, network architecture, and enterprise security, and is a graduate of West Point and a decorated Gulf War veteran. Hey, welcome to the show, Patrick and Dwayne. Hey, maybe we can start with Dwayne. Maybe you could tell us what keeps you up at night. Share with us what your cyber fear is. <laughs> That's a great question. So I'm, I'm a bit on the opposite side. I'm usually looking for, I'm usually happiest when the internet is on fire and there's <laughs> like these amazing exploits out there. Cause as a red team leader, I'm always looking to break into places. Um, but my, my biggest concern, the thing that does keep me up at night is that um, not a lot of people keep up on the latest and greatest things. While we're doing this, this show, there'll probably be about 30 different new exploits that get released in the 20 minutes that we're talking. Um, so my biggest fear is just people get tired. They, they just don't want to keep up with the pace of cybersecurity and 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 try and keep up with protecting things. Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. I kind of always liken it to a whack-a-mole game. No matter how much the good guys <laughs> are trying to put out the fires and make things safer, something else pops up and you just can't mm -hmm. keep up with it. And, and maybe that's part of the reason there, there's some challenges in the cyber industry, not just with recruiting people, but really retaining them. It's a great mm. cyber fear, that, that's for sure. Um, hey, hey, let's find out about maybe Patrick's fear. Patrick, what keeps you up at night? What is one of your fears? Mostly that Dwayne's going to go rogue and come after me. Uh, <laughs> no, not really. Not really. I, I, I have uh, insurance against that. Um, no, actually, the, the biggest concern, I, we run two podcasts. One is Security This Week that Dwayne and I host with a friend of ours called Franklin. Mm -hmm. um, that's focused on cyber, but the other is called quant uh, entangled things that talks about quantum. And, and right mm -hmm. now there's a, there's an emerging threat. It's not a threat yet. Um, but that is that quantum will be able to break pretty much all the, um, asymmetric encryption that we're using on the internet and email and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm concerned that people aren't taking that seriously enough. They're not getting, you know, educated on that. And, and it's a tough topic. People glaze over very quickly when I start talking quantum, including Dwayne, um, and so that, that is actually probably my biggest concern is that we're going to come to a point where that's a real problem and we wasted, squandered the time we had to prepare for. Oh, that's great. And we're going to build on that in a minute. because I'm going to bring that topic up again, if it's okay, but maybe start out because you guys are fellow podcasters and, mm -hmm. and we kind of speak and live in the same world there of cyber and podcasting and stuff, which is kind of a, a, a privilege for me. So I'm, I'm grateful that you guys are on as a guest. Tell me a little bit about your maybe your podcast that you guys do together, and it's called Security This Week, and we'll put up the the link there at the bottom. It's an audio podcast, but tell our viewers and listeners a little bit more about it, and uh, so maybe they can can sign up for it. Yeah, sure, sure absolutely. Um, Go ahead, so, Dwayne. Uh, yeah, it's 
we we started off um honestly about uh, almost two years ago um mm-hmm. talking to a buddy of ours carl and a brilliant developer been doing podcasts for two decades and um he said you know what i want to learn more about cybersecurity." And he said, the the best way for me to learn is for us to get on a call and just chat. Let's just do a podcast. Let's just talk about it. Um, And and it's we we've now developed it to where we what we do is every week we take the top news stories in cyber, top breaches, top exploits, you know, et cetera. And we we try and distill them down into manageable bites. Like, is this hype? Uh, Last pass. Was it hype? Was it not hype? Is it something you should worry about? Is it not something you should worry about? Um, and we'll the conversations then go from there. Sometimes geopolitical, sometimes into the latest and greatest bleeding edge of of exploit development. But it's it's really to educate, you know, sort of the masses as to what what's happening within the last seven days in cybersecurity and what should you really be concerned about. Yeah, and we uh-huh. try to avoid jargon when we when. Uh, Carl plays the police when we use an acronym, we need to go define it. And so it, it acts as basically a, a, an understanding for when we talk about a software bill of materials, when we don't get away with just saying SBOM, we have to define yeah. it and explain it. So it's, it's very much geared towards the people who want to learn more about this stuff. Mm-hmm. Yep. Very uh, accessible. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really like that. In fact, I know even when I was writing, writing my books, um, one of the things when it's somebody working on editing, they, they, they bounce back to me and they said, every time in cyber, you come up with one of these wacky acronyms that you talk about, assume the audience doesn't know it stops, yes. define it, break it down. <laughs> and, and that kind of taught me to think a little bit differently. If I'm doing an interview, if I'm writing a podcast, whatever it is. So I'm, I'm really glad to hear that you guys do that because that, that's how audiences get educated exactly. by, by yes. learning the acronyms and, and having somebody distill it and break it down. So it can yeah. be kind of a bite-sized chunk that they kind of okay, I understand what quantum computing is now and I understand what encryption is and how they they work together or don't work together. That's that's brilliant. It's tough in cyber though, because I I don't know if it's just cyber, but we have so many acronyms and weird names. Like I could talk about you know, breaking into a customer environment and we start off with things like Bloodhound and then we move into a ping castle and then from there we're going to use a coercer and you're like, you just, those are made up names. Like you just yeah. made those up. And it's like, no, those are actual tools and things we yeah. use. So it's, yeah, it's a tough topic to try and break down and make it accessible. Oh, yeah. it, it is. And, and you start merging different worlds. Now from, from my background, we come from kind of wireless threat detection tools where wireless tools cross cyber. And, and yep. it's kind of an interesting mix. So a lot of our customers are DOD customers. So there, there's different tools out there. Like you said, a, you know, Bloodhound or a Wireshark mm-hmm. or a Stingray. Oh, and then yeah. our company's products, we have interesting names on them also. So when somebody says a Yorkie Pro or a, you know, a Blue Sleuth, <laughs> and now you're talking to another acronym for the stuff they're familiar with equipment, and then acronyms right. about cyber and wireless, they're like, what is going yeah, on? Limsy catchers in your life. Exactly. Uh, yeah. 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 <laughs> like, what? <laughs> it's brutal. It's brutal. It makes it fun, though, I think, because I think, and fundamentally, and I'd love your opinion on this, I always think about cyber part of my job. I'm, and again, I'm, I'm trying to run a company or designers. We're manufacturing products to keep people safer and companies safer in the world of cyber and wireless. But a big part of my job is also education. And mm-hmm. I feel the more I can educate people, maybe it doesn't directly come back in revenue for our company, but it makes us all a little bit safer. And be it a podcast, an interview, a book, a speaking event. How do you guys kind of feel about that from the world of education at your end? It's it's difficult. When we get somebody who comes to us, they say, oh, I want to get into security, cyber. Mm-hmm. And that's like saying, I want to get into medicine. There's a lot of things you can do 
we got to figure out, uh, do they want to be on the kinetic side? Are they more on the audit side? Are they, do they want to work on a blue team or are they more red team? It, it really, there's a lot of ground there, but, but it, what it has in common is you have to become a mile wide and a foot deep because you have to understand technologies that you're not, you're not necessarily an expert in. You, you still need to understand databases, even though you're not going to be a database administrator. And so we normally tell people that they need to go out and get, you know, wide array of understanding of these terms, the buzzwords that we just talked about, they have to know what they mean. They don't necessarily have to be a master of them, but they have to basically take the 100 level of all the main things. They need to know email at 100 level and databases at 100 level and scripting at 100 level, because then they can, they can understand what they're seeing and what, they, what they're finding. So uh, we work with a lot of interns. We work with a lot of educational institutions. We're going yeah. to West Point in a couple of weeks to talk mm-hmm. to the cadets. Uh, right. For the third time you know, this year, um, and so we're trying very hard to uh, find those like-minded pools and help them work up the ladder and understand what they want to do because that's a big part of it. It can be daunting if you just throw them in and say, "Okay, you're all going to be hackers or reversers," because mm-hmm. those are special skills not everybody's yeah. attuned to. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a brilliant point. How about trade shows and events? I always kind of mention to people if they're looking to get into cyber to find their niche. And yeah. I go each year to, to, to RSA and I go to Black Hat and I go to DEF CON. Is there any particular shows or events that you guys recommend for somebody that's interested in cyber? Yeah. So honestly, I mean, Black Hat is a, it's an interesting conference and I've gone many times. Um, but what I find is it it's become very commercial. So if you want to get to like, oh, I want to see what, uh, you know, RSA is doing. Let's go talk to them. Right. Or I want to see what uh, Black Hills is doing. Let's go talk to them. Um, but really, kind of um, a lot of these local conferences, like um, the Schmoocons, the B-Sides, the, mm-hmm. where they're just community-focused, you're going to get a lot of really great content. But what the other interesting thing there is you're also going to get a lot of really great networking. Yeah. So yeah. you're going to meet local cybersecurity specialists and hobbyists who are interested in these things. And that's going to foster you wanting to learn more and engage yeah. and have more people in that circle. Yeah, so That would be my recommendation. User yeah. groups, things that you don't, Again, you don't have to become a master programmer, but you got to kind of understand what the programmers are doing. Mm-hmm. You got to understand what what the technology is capable of. So even if you're not looking to be a programmer, go to a code camp, go to um, you know a, a meetup. There's meetups all over the place for developers, whether it's you know Power Builder, JavaScript, um, C Sharp, whatever, um, because you have to sample that stuff. You have to become you know pretty well versed in that area. In mm. all areas. It's great. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. I'm kind of glad you mentioned that too, because I do recommend people start out maybe a little bit local area because we take for granted. There, there are, at least in my area here in the central New Jersey, New York area, there's a lot of cybersecurity mm. conferences, local ones, and they're yep. small. It doesn't have to be 50,000 people there because yep. you can get lost with the marketers and yeah. all the things going on in a show. But if you could sit down and have a conversation, as you mentioned, network with somebody and learn that, hey, Python is not a snake only. It's also, <laughs> right. you know, Perfect. you start to, to, to dissect some of these acronyms and things. It gets exciting yeah. then. So, yeah, I encourage people, do a couple searches on, on Google, and you'll be amazed how many local cybersecurity conferences there are. And I do the same thing. I speak at some of those, like uh, IC Squared. They have a New Jersey yep. chapter. 
Mm. I'm going to be speaking at that. I never knew about it before then. There's InfraGuard. Yeah. There's even colleges yeah. now that are putting on some, some cybersecurity shows and events yeah. where you can network with students and professors. And some of that is also tied in with, I guess, recruiting. So it gives you an opportunity yeah. maybe to speak with different ones. So yeah, so great, great suggestions. Maybe tell us a little bit more. We brought up before um, Quantum. I'd love to get your thoughts on this, uh, you know, quantum computing, and and I think about it, and it's kind of exciting what the future brings. But then at the same time, the the darker side, maybe if it gets in yeah. the hands of cyber criminals, what can they do with that regarding encryption so, and stuff like let that? Let me give you a, a handful of things for people Please. to first understand. <clears throat> first is quantum computers will not replace classical computers. You will not mm-hmm. have a quantum phone. You will not have a quantum laptop. You will not play Tetris on a quantum computer. They're different. They work very differently. They work in a way that allows them to do things like optimization very well. They get to do material science and physics and chemistry very well. They solve some small set of problems that computers, the classical computers we have, will never solve because the scale needed would be, we'd have to turn every particle in the universe into a a bit to solve some of these problems quantum computers promise to solve them much more efficiently. We're also in the very, we're coming near what people call the end or the maybe the middle of the beginning. We're still in the vacuum tube stages yeah. of quantum computing. It's not there yet. When you try to get quantum computers to factor numbers, 21's a big deal, you know? <laughs> so, but the problem is that the, the promise of what they're going to be able to do and how soon that will be, those are the big questions right now. There's an algorithm by um, a professor from MIT named Peter Shore called Shore's algorithm. And in it, he showed that a sufficiently large quantum computer could break pretty much all of the encryption we're using in in a very short period of time. So right now, if you use a classical computer against RSA 2048, Mm-hmm. I think it's it's mil, millions, billions, or trillions of years. It doesn't we'll matter. It's, by then to crack yeah, it. <laughs> it's a long, long time. But if Shor's algorithm could have a computer with, I mean, a million qubits is probably way more than you would need if they were mm-hmm. all stable. Um, it could break it in you know five minutes to an hour, or it could give it. Basically, what it does is it gives the classical computer enough of a hint that it can break yeah. it in an hour. <clears throat> it's, it's a it's a shortcut. It's a Cheat. The problem is all the governments in the world are trying to be not far behind the first one, but whoever's first will have first mover advantage. And so that's where all the money's coming from. A lot of the money that's pouring into quantum is solving lots of problems, but the governments have the interest and because of the security challenge, it's driving a lot of interest. So NIST, National Institute of Standards and Technology out of the US, came up with Candidates, they went through 54 candidates to replace the the three um, encryptions that we're currently using that are considered to be vulnerable. RSA is one of them. Diffie-Hellman is another. And elliptical curve is the third. All three of those will be vulnerable to Shor's algorithm. Um, They've gone through and they've pared down that list over and over again in five or six different uh, sessions. And they've come up with Crystals Kyber, Crystals Dilithium, and a couple of others that I I don't really get into too much. Hmm. Um, And you can start implementing those. And it might take you five years to replace all your encryption, but five years might be when the classical, the quantum computers have the breakthrough. So Hmm. I can't say that quantum computers are going to be able to break RSA 2048 this decade. I Hmm. can't say for sure it'll be next decade, but 
I also can't say for sure it won't be by the end of this decade. And so right. that's the concern is it's still a question. It's still an unknown. It's pretty well understood that it will eventually be able to do it. It's not a, you know, someday we don't know when it might be 50 years. No one thinks it's 50 years. Yeah. Some people think it's 20. I don't believe them. And mm-hmm. last, last statistic in 2015, there was a study that said it, you would, it would take a billion stable qubits and qubits mm-hmm. are very, you know, difficult to, to wrangle almost as bad as hackers and programmers um, <laughs> Almost in order to break RSA 2048. Four short years later, a new paper came out and said, no, no, we could do it in 20 million. That's a dramatic decrease in the number of bits that's right. required. IBM just released a chip with 400 plus qubits, and they're planning to release 1,000 qubits and then 4,000 qubits. Mm-hmm. On an almost a- annual basis, they plan on continuing that increase faster than Moore's Law yeah. when you talk about numbers of bits. Mm. Um, so I don't know when those two lines intersect, but I wouldn't bet my life on it being after this decade ends. Yep. So people need to start paying attention. That's why that was my fear is that we're not paying attention to this because people think it's a, it's a, it's a future problem. Yeah. I think it's a good point you make. I think sometimes just paying attention and doing something. So if you're implementing some of the latest and greatest, you're going to be a lot more safer than doing nothing and be complacent. I, I always make that analogy when people say, well, oh, my information is not that valuable. What's the big deal about passwords? And I said, well, at least you should tr- use multi-factor authentication. And like, oh, somebody cracked mm-hmm. it. Sure they did, but it doesn't mean necessarily they're going to take the time and effort and money to try to hack into your account if you're using multi-factor. Yeah. You know, well, it's another layer of security. If you leave oh. your car unlocked, <laughs> there might be nothing worthwhile, but you still don't want kids roaming, yeah. rummaging through it. And <laughs> right. They're gonna, right. if that's yeah. what yeah. they're trying to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Hey, t- tell me a little bit about, curious, uh, uh, since you have expertise in your background about hacking stuff, do you, as you guys educate yourself and in your company and through your podcast, what do you guys do? I mean, everybody's got their own story. I mean, my, my brief story is growing up, my father worked at Atari. My brother and wow. I, we started pirating games and we amassed yep. more games for the Apple computer and Atari mm-hmm. than anyone else. Then we built some hardware wow. devices to copy cartridges. And it, it, we kind of got deeper and deeper and worked our way through, you know, the different internet before the official internet and going on mm-hmm. bulletin boards and hacking passwords yep. and trading well, games. Yes, that was kind of early stages of things. I'm curious, what's, what's your backstories, each of you, Patrick and Dwayne, if you, if you don't mind sharing? Well, I started in the military and I can't look at a, I can't look at a nice scenic picture of a pasture without thinking about where I'd put the machine guns. Um, <laughs> I just always think in terms of security attack and defend. And, mm-hmm. and so that was either, either they drilled it into me or I came to the Academy defective in that way. And I did get into computers in an early age. I started programming in high school um, on Pascal and took class at West Point and got a computer early. And, uh, so, but, but very interested in that. And then I met this malcontent, um, who, who took me further down the rabbit hole. Go ahead, Dwayne. Yeah. So, um, for me, I I started in the same time, uh, you kind of did Scott, where it was, uh, BBSs and trying to break in and IRC channels and Archie and, uh, Veronica and Weyus and like, so you're playing with modems and connecting to systems and ward dialing and that sort of thing. And, um, you know, for me, my sort of dark history, um, is, uh, I actually did in the early nineties break into my high school network, um, and, and got caught. 
um, and then uh, got suspended for five days. And and that was a tough that was a tough a tough start. But it was is more like um, back in the 90s. I was a, an amateur radio operator and I would take apart TVs and figure out how they worked. It was more the classic hacking. Like, how does this all work and how did they put it together and how do radio waves work and that sort of stuff. But that curiosity, um, you know, it, it pairs very well with cybersecurity because you want to tear it apart, see how it ticks and then be like, oh, well, that I could break and that I could break and that I could break. Um, and then after college, um, I actually met Patrick uh, in 2000, early in 2000, uh, I think April of 2000. He was he was a teacher in a class that I was taking, uh, a professional class by Microsoft, um, and we hit it off, and and then from there we've been working together ever since. So, so I bring him down the dark code uh, places, and then uh, we'll go to new buildings, and he's like, "All right, here's the place that I would defend, or here's how you'd attack this building." So it's you know it's been a good it's been a good partnership. Great stuff, yeah, I love it. Great great background. Maybe to to pivot a little bit, let's talk a little bit about a. A, a data breach. What are some things companies can do after they realize, oh no, we, we've been uh, infected with malware, we had our, our network yeah. uh, breached, and maybe even some tips to to prevent that, so that so mm -hmm. companies can be proactive. And any thoughts at your end, guys? Yeah, absolutely. I, I'd say that the first thing I always um, counsel our customers and and really anybody who will listen to me um, is don't panic. That's the mm -hmm. first thing. Like if you if you hear that there's a potential data breach, you see some weird things in logs or whatever. Uh, the first thing I typically hear is customers like, oh, my God, listen, I unplugged the server. Right. Or like, um, you know, we went and we started formatting drives. Uh, and it's like, okay, well, don't panic. A, you should already have a plan. But but B, the, the second thing I counsel them is if the first time you're thinking about an incident response plan is during an incident, you're already behind the eight ball. You should have thought of this plan months and months prior. Before you have things to protect, figure out how you're going to notify and respond to when people try and steal those things. Like, do you, you need legal counsel to say, what is it we can say to our customers? What is it we can say to our vendors? What is it we have to report to the board? What do you have to report to the state, um, depending on what data has been leaked? So you know, that's my advice is if you're starting during a breach, you're already too late and, and don't panic. Um, move slowly and methodically. Yeah, that's great. Any other thoughts there? No, I, th I think he, he, he summed it up quite well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I think it, I, I do kind of concur. I, I kind of reflect back how many calls I've gotten from business owners saying, uh, Scott, sorry to call you in the middle of the night. I th think we just got hit by ransomware, mm -hmm. but I <clears throat> yanked the internet cable off and unplugged the computer and I think we're okay now. And I'm like, ah. so, <laughs> sometimes the way, like you said, don't panic. Maybe that's some of the best. It, sometimes the most practical advice is the best thing. Don't panic. Don't go doing things. If you're not confident, not sure what you should do, because that that right. could be more catastrophic than trying to clean up the mess. Oh, yeah. That's for sure. Yeah. Yep. How about for for our viewers and listeners, if they're hearing some of this stuff and they're saying, "Hey, cybersecurity sounds exciting," some of the great stuff that that you guys are involved in in your company, maybe I want to you know look at that field a little bit more and get into mm. it. Do you have any advice? Because because we talked about obviously you know college not necessarily always the best place to go put a long long time in there and get deep in debt to, to get a degree in cyber. Not that it's bad uh, or a master's or this or that. There's other means and other ways to do it as well. Any advice maybe for the, the wannabe cybersecurity professional out there? Oh. Yeah, it, it's <clears throat> so my original uh, comments from before of they need to get deep. They need to mm -hmm. learn a, a little bit about everything and that'll help them understand where they want to go in the, in the industry as well. So they should be, you know, 
basically consuming intro data as much as possible, intro to this, intro to that, learn just a little bit of everything they can Mm -hmm. so that when they listen to podcasts like this, they already know what the acronyms mean. They already know why you would use Kubernetes and what it's for. So they, that, that recognition that'll help them on interviews, no matter what they're doing, but it'll also help them to, to kind of lay that foundation. And that's why a lot of people do go to school is so they can get that foundation. Um, if, but you have to be self-driven, you have to be able to do it yourself. Um, if you want to find an internship, that's difficult because people want, you know, it's that, that dilemma, uh, you have to have in, you have to have experience to get an internship, but you need an internship to get experience. So you need to just keep plugging, uh, try to help the people around you. If you have a family member that has a small business, help them understand how to use a password manager, help them get a patch management going, help them. There's lots of things that you can do that are free. Uh, and listen to these podcasts, uh, our podcast, your podcast. This is, this is an era that I wish I grew up in. Uh, this, none of this information was available as easily. And so mm-hmm. they can self-educate because the interview is going to be what, you know, not what piece of paper you have typically. Yeah. Yeah. Well, said. yeah. And, and I'd say if I can just tail on to that, um, yeah. you know, some of the, some of the best engineers we've mentored, um, are, were mechanic. One of them was a mechanic before this, didn't have a college degree, was a mechanic, but loved, how to, loved tearing things apart and understanding what the problem was and, and breaking things down. And it translated well over into cybersecurity and, and had that drive to want to know it all, to want to know, to be reading at night, uh, you know, different security things. And he'd text me at like one in the morning, be like, oh my God, I just found this really cool thing, right? Um, you know, one of our other success stories is, uh, you know, a kid who was in high school, College wasn't wasn't his path, wasn't the path he was going to go, but loved the cybersecurity side of the house. Um, you know, drove really hard, became one of really, really good engineer for us, um, and went into uh cybersecurity, offensive security, and got certifications and is doing fantastic. So, you know, I'd say um from that standpoint, uh, you know, coming back to what we were talking about before, find local conferences that are free, right? So that don't cost money. They're usually on the weekends. They most of the time won't interrupt with school if you're doing high school or whatever, and, and just go see what's there. Learn some of the acronyms, learn the people and network. And but through networking, I mean, we've picked up, uh, we have a very active internship program um, where we will pick up kids from high school and college. Um, and, and literally the plan for us is to just educate, educate, educate them. And by the time they graduate from college, they have offensive security, cybersecurity experience, and in some cases, certifications on you know, offensive security. So I'd, I definitely mm-hmm. say that's a great path. Get to know the community because they'll help you. There's just not enough people in the space. Yeah, yeah. I think a brilliant point you both make there, and I, I definitely concur. And I, I often say to people that if, if cyber kind of becomes your passion and, and you love tinkering in it and reading about it and the headlines and the breaches, whatever, you could then find your little niche and that becomes your career. And it's kind of exciting to have a career or something that you enjoy doing. You yes. go home and you're still talking about it and reading about it. And I like <laughs> the points you mentioned, you know, help family members, help them sure. explain why a password needs to be long and strong and why you don't reuse it and all the very common things that we probably all talk about, but get excited about it. I think, I think that's great. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe um, for our, for our audience, can you guys uh, help us understand what's the best way to reach out to you guys? Obviously, listen to your podcasts. That would be great and, and sign up and, and this and that because you're going to get some great education from both uh, Dwayne and Patrick there. But what other ways? Maybe learn about your company. Could you share some some shout outs so sure. people can reach out to you? 
Yeah. So uh, the podcasts are a great way, uh, especially based on the content. So securitythisweek.com, entangledthings.com if you're, if you're not faint of heart. And, um, and the company website is pulsarsecurity.com. There's contact information there. I'm on LinkedIn, as is Dwayne. Uh, mm-hmm. And so we're probably both open books. And I'm, and I'm on Twitter as long as Twitter's still running, I suppose. Um, okay. So Thank there's, you, there's that. <laughs> yeah, I know, exactly. Great, great. And I, I encourage the viewers, please take take a listen to those podcasts. I just started listening to the, to the first one mentioned there, Security This Week, and really enjoying it. A couple episodes. So uh, again, thank you both, Patrick Dwayne, for your insight and all that you, you're doing in the industry of, of cybersecurity, keeping us all safe. I really appreciate you joining me as guests and keep up the great work. Thanks, Scott. Awesome. Yeah, thank you so much, Scott.